In this episode, and as part of the 70th anniversary and commemoration of 10th Special Forces Group, we speak with the one and only Sergeant Rudy Horvath. Rudy was one of the originals, part of the first select group of service members to be brought on as the nation's first Special Forces in 1952. Our command was honored to speak with Rudy in his current hometown in New Jersey to walk us through his journey, from his upbringing in Budapest, Hungary, all the way to his donning of the Green Beret and the legacy he helped forge 70 years ago this week. Here's some of the highlights from this extraordinary interview. So, Rudy, um, you were born in Budapest in 1931. Correct. October 23rd. And your childhood was during a worldwide depression, a Nazi occupation, and then war with the Soviets. Take us back to that place. What was your childhood like under those conditions? Well, I, th I think uh, maybe the word is a uh, very dramatic survival. You had to survive. Uh, <clears throat> I lived uh, close to a, uh, a railroad yard in, in Budapest, and some of the uh, uh, trains were stuck there. Uh, they were from German, Germans, and uh, then the, later on Russians. So they had all kinds of food on these trains. And I uh, snuck in, I stole some of them. And uh, me and my mother, brother was gone. Uh, we lived on that for quite a while. Wow. So uh, that was our main uh, source of food. What got you started thinking about leaving? Well, by that time, I'm pretty well committed that I'm going to leave the country, leave leave Hungary. And uh, it was just a question of when. And this opportunity came a little bit unexpectedly. But by that time, I'd done my homework, see, Big question was where, at what point shall I cross the border, and which one? Because the occupational zones still existed back then. You know, it was uh, the Germany was divided to four parts: is uh, British, American, French, and us. So uh, I uh, looked at the newspapers. And uh, being communist-run, they were bragging almost how many people died here, how many people died attempting to cross the border. Well, I said to myself, if they're bragging about how many people they killed at this one point, I don't want to go there, and <laughs> because obviously it's not a safe point. So I picked a spot that is uh, hardly ever mentioned. And uh, it was almost like a uh, dead zone, if you would please. Not quite into Germany, American zone and Russian zone bordering each other, but back into Austria. And you have um, crossed the Czech border, but you're still in the Russian zone. Who needs that, right? I mean, that's counterproductive. So uh, I said, huh, that, that may be the point. And that turned out to be 
uh, Linz as the final destination where you came out of um, Czechoslovakia and uh, you entered into uh, the Austria-Russian zone. So nobody wants to do that, right? I mean, come on, you cross over, and then be, uh, you're back to the same old thing, right? So uh, I picked that spot as to be the uh, crossing point because there's no activity and, uh, and hopefully uh, a uh, neglected part of the uh, border because the border between American zone and Russian zone very busy and uh, uh, constant skirmishes on the border and you know you you want to stay away from that well you you didn't tell anyone you were leaving oh uh, not even your one family of, was, one that, of, was that tough yeah one of the hardest things that uh, I had to do is to leave my mother without without letting her know where I'm what I want to do and all that because I knew they're going to question her and the simplest thing is just don't let her have any bit of information that would um, uh, compromise her and and compromise me so uh, uh, that was hard that was the hardest thing to and uh, it still hurts but the uh, the choice to stay there, there was just no choice. I had to go. You know, so eventually you, you do find a clerk who knew about the Lodge Act, who were, was able to get you to, to kind of sign you up or get you to the Army, and you basically board a ship to the United States. I got a uh, ticket to, uh, to Sanhofen to join the American Army. So we waited a little while in Sanhofen to collect because kids were coming in, but not, not by big numbers, uh, trickling in, okay? Mm -hmm. And um, when we reached 50, we uh, were uh, transported to Bremenhaven and put on a ship, and I was in uh, Camp Kilmer, uh, a post existed then is no longer in existence. And uh, here I was in a, from Camp Kilmer, I was transferred to Dix, which is next, practically next door, and started basic training. F finished basic and got, a, got new orders, report to North Carolina, the Psychological Warfare Center. Right. For many people, that's one of the toughest things that they will have done to go to Army basic training and join the service. But with your experiences and the history that you had, I'm wondering what your experience was. What did you think about the, the Army's training? Absolutely uh, easy. Hey, whatever they're doing, I've done it already. <laughs> right. Yeah. For somebody who's, uh, who was you know, struggled in the occupation and the survival and the escape and, and all that part, right? So the Army was, was no big deal. I, I loved the shooting ex ex part of it, and I kept it up with Special Forces every chance I had to hit the range and fired whatever was available. 
Right. So let's get to that. So, so you get assigned, after basic training, you get assigned to the Psychological Warfare Center down at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Correct. But from what I've heard, you spent most of your time mopping floors and cleaning. I hated it. You're absolutely right. Uh, uh, <laughs> they were not, they didn't know what to do with us. Okay, there was about a half a dozen, maybe a dozen uh, large people, uh, and um, we were just mopping floors and doing this kind of, until Curl Bank uh, announced that he has something to tell to the troops, and we gathered at the base uh, theater, uh, and he delivered this speech that he's forming a... Um, special unit. We can double volunteer because not only that you got to be a volunteer for the unit, but you also got to be volunteers for airborne. At that point, most of the guys <laughs> stood up and walked out. <laughs> and this is early 1952. Yes, sir. So you, so you didn't walk out? No. I'll you be. stayed. <laughs> what uh, that's what I wanted, okay? Well, what in, so it intrigued you. You didn't know what you were really getting into other than special no, unit, a new no, unit, I, an airborne school. And that's not the first time that I get into things that I don't know anything about. <laughs> yeah. So you just took that leap. Yes, sir. So at, at what point did you know that you weren't just going to a new unit, but quote-unquote special forces? When did that when did you become special forces? I, I think I was special forces the moment I agreed to Colonel Banks' um, uh, invitation. Did you? Did they use the term special forces at the time? How did, no, sir. When did that become a the, just the name? a special unit? Special unit, and uh, we started out having cross-trained. My specialty was demolition and um, language, of course. And, and then we cross-trained. Uh, some of us went into the radio. Some of us went into somewhere else. So everybody was cross-trained. And each team member, by that time we were broken down to teams, each team uh, member knew that job that was, that position called for. Mm -hmm. So that if he's missing... Somebody else can step in and carry on. Yeah. I think you'll find it interesting. It's still very similar today um, with the Operational Detachment Alpha, the ODA. Twelve members. I think it was maybe 15 uh, when you first, when they first created it. But small unit where each person has a specialty, but then they cross-train and they learn each other's jobs. It's very neat uh, that, it's, that how you all started it has continued on. So you said the Army training course wasn't, wasn't too hard. What about Special Forces training? Was it more challenging? Yeah, it, it was spotty. There, there, there were the, the marches with load on the back. <laughs> you know, these things are uh, extreme physical discomfort, okay? <laughs> you can put it, put it like that. But uh, you could see through it, in other words, it was necessary to get in shape to do these things, right? I mean, it, it had a purpose. Right. And uh, I agreed with that purpose. <laughs> so you were assigned to 10th Special Forces Group, which is interesting, the, the numbering, because it was the first. 
and at the time the only one, right? And you spent the next few years, I believe three years, in Bad Tolls, Germany. So what was life like on a detachment there? I would say routine army life. You know, uh, you were scheduled to have a, uh, I don't know, 10 kilometer run or whatever. Uh, then you scheduled for a, a firing range that you went out and you scared the hell out of all the locals. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, I was demolition. I had all these booby traps and this and that. So you've had some interaction with today's special forces soldiers and captains and young officers, having visited them over the years. What does it feel like to be one of the originals that laid the foundation for what Special Forces is today? It makes me extremely proud, extremely proud that a little nobody comes out of Hungary and uh, given an opportunity to do all of these things that blossom out to even bigger things. So uh, I'm extremely proud to be able to do this and have, have this country. Well, sir, you're, you're certainly an inspiration to a lot of, a lot of folks um, that are currently serving and carry on your legacy. I hope The legacy so. of the originals I hope all these so. 70 years later. I really appreciate uh, your time with us today. Pleasure is all mine, Major. Pleasure is all mine. This has been The Indigenous Approach. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. Follow us on social media, and if you have suggestions for topics or guests, send us a message. Thank you for listening.